0: Hi, this is Gage from Why God Why. We're in the midst of a season titled The Credibility of Christianity, and we are diving into all types of topics like faith and science, politics, diversity, faith and beauty or superficiality, and more. And as we go through this season, uh, we wanna hear from you. We're gonna do an episode at the very end of the season where we discuss the whole season and respond to listener questions. So as you listen along and you think, hey, I wish they talked about that question further or they didn't really hit on this topic related to the episode. We'd love to hear from you and get a chance to discuss it together. So as you're listening along, if that occurs to you, send your question you'd like us to discuss to peter at browncroft.org. If you're extra savvy, uh, send us a recording of your voice actually asking the question and we can include that in the episode. We'll only share your name if you give us permission. But we'd love to hear from you. With that, enjoy the episode.
1: Welcome to the Why God Why Podcast. We are brought to you by the Lumavaz Network out of Saddleback Church. We are also part of Browncroft Community Church. My name's Peter. I am a co-host, Amanda. I feel like it's been forever.
2: I know. I do, too. I miss it. Oh, man. I'm glad to be back, though. I know. Yeah.
1: Well, that's probably as positive as this episode's going to start.
2: Great. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can hear our guest in the background. His name is Brian Lee. Um, We are going to be responding to a question that's, why does it feel like churches uh, cause more harm than good? Mm And uh, Brian's a friend. He's also part of the Three Timers Club for our podcast. Love it. But before we throw to Brian and kind of reintroduce uh, himself, Amanda, any thoughts about this question before we get going?
2: Um, I feel like it's a question that people are asking, and I'm glad that we're having conversation with someone who unfortunately has been through it um, and is also seeking to create health in churches and also prevent harm happening in the future. So I think we asked the right person to answer the question.
1: Well, Brian, without further ado, before we jump in, um, as a three-timer, you know, give us a little update about your life and tell us a little bit more, yeah, about you.
3: Yeah, thanks. Um, Thanks for having me back again. (laughs) I was looking it up. I think the last time I was here was January of 22. So it's been a while. And we talked about the Enneagram and New Year goals. Um, and that's mostly the work I was doing then is I am an Enneagram coach. I speak on it. I do workshops and all kinds of stuff and conferences with churches and leaders and groups. Um, and since then I've also been doing a lot of new work, um, working with people coming out of environments of church hurt, church harm, spiritual abuse, and religious trauma. Um, if anyone's paying attention to anything in the church it's that more and more stories keep coming out unfortunately i've experienced it in three different environments myself which is a large part of why this work started i've been to a whole lot of counseling in that time (laughs) which is where this work was born from um and it i got to the place where i was able to process it in a way that Help me to reclaim agency, I think, in my life. Because when so many people experience things like spiritual abuse, it feels like your agency has been stripped away. So the ability to reclaim some of that and feel empowered, not just to move towards healing, but to help other people to do the same. Because mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard at this point of people who have been through these kinds of things. Um, and so I launched a cohort in October of 2023 two, I want to say. Um, so it was that same year. Um, and it's called through it. It was a six week cohort then it's an eight week cohort now. And it's just, we walk people through a really practical way of processing and telling their stories and then giving them really practical tools to move toward healing and wholeness is the phrase that we use a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, coming out of that, I launched a summit. (laughs) Which feels crazy. Um, I read a ton of books and looked for a bunch of resources on spiritual abuse. It's like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? How do we define it? What do we do with it? And I felt like I came away from so many of these resources asking the question, yeah, but what now? Like, you've done a great job defining it for me. You've done a great job telling me other stories that helped me to feel validated, but I still don't know what to do with myself. Mm-hmm. So I invited all of those authors and speakers and therapists and pastors on to my virtual summit to just say, what now? Like, tell us, what do we do now with it? Um, So that was last year was our very first summit. We had 1,200 people show up. It's happening right now as we record. (laughs) We're on day two of the summit, and there are 1,800 people registered this year so far. Mm -hmm. um, And people keep signing up every hour. Um, And it's just been, been a wild ride. And coming out of that, it felt like there was obviously a need for it, an audience for it, a community that was looking for resources. So... Over the summer, um, I did a lot more work and we officially received our 501c3 nonprofit status Mm. over Thanksgiving weekend of 2023. And now we're a full blown thing. I've got a board, uh, that I report to and work with. They get to help me make decisions. So I'm not doing the whole thing by myself. Mm. Um, there, a lot has happened since I've been here last. Wow. And and you have a new baby. I mean, just, yeah. And I have a new baby. Yeah. Yep. Just yeah. just a few extra things here and there.
1: Well, we're going to talk more about Broken to Beloved, the, uh, the organization that you started. I, I guess where I want to start is really kind of focused in big picture, because we're mm-hmm. putting this question in the series of the credibility of Christianity. And so I want you to think of answering this question on the basis of, You know, I've never followed Jesus and I'm skeptical of Jesus, all the way to I've been a Christian for 80 years. I think the church is imperfect, but it's great. Why is this question about churches doing more harm than good so important to the question of the credibility of Christianity in the year of our Lord
2: 2024? Mm -hmm. And also answering the question of people who are skeptical not only of Christ but also skeptical of the church Mm. because of what they heard and what they've been through and or other people around them.
3: Sure. Really good questions and really fair questions. Um, And I think it's a question really every Christian should be asking Mm -hmm. of themselves and their churches and their pastors and leaders. Um, And I don't know that there's a simple answer for any of it, But what my mind goes to first is when it comes to people being skeptical of Christ because churches or Christians seem like they're doing more harm than good, it's because people are the only representative that other people have of who Christ is. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so when they hear these stories or see the news or see, you know, whatever it is of people who claim to be Christians doing these kinds of things. What other representation do we have of who Christ is supposed to be? So to me, it makes total sense why people are skeptical or why people think that churches do more harm than good. And obviously the news is out there, not just to report news, but to make money really depending on which network they belong to. Um, So they're going to report the more sensational stuff, the more negative stuff, and they don't report on all the amazing churches and Christians that are out there doing really, really great work. Um, and two things can be true at the same time, because there are also really horrible things happening in churches across all different denominations, um, and not just churches, faith, any kind of faith-based organization really, um, comes under the same things. But it's that idea of when you hear reports of sexual abuse being covered up, or denied, or victims being completely dismissed or gaslit, or whatever it is. Or when you look at anti abortion rights advocates standing up and pulling off demonstrations that don't seem much like Christ, even though they stand on the concepts of Christ and the Bible. Um, or you go to the other side, an anti, you know, pro abortion or pro life or whatever you want to call it, whatever stance you want to take we're seeing a whole lot of behavior that doesn't look like Christ. Mm. And then when it comes to people who are actually being harmed in the church, whether it's emotional, verbal, financial, spiritual, sexual abuse, um, and then the church was supposed to be the place where people felt safe and supposed to be where they felt welcome and supposed to feel like I can come here to heal or I can come here truly as myself and bring my baggage and my history. And instead, they walk out shamed. Or they walk out being made the victim. Or they they walk out being told that they were the divisive one. Mm. There's a great quote from Mark Twain. And he says, a cat that sits on a hot stove lid won't ever sit on a hot stove lid again. But it probably won't sit on a cold stove lid either. Mm. That's why it looks like or feels like the church is doing more harm than good. Mm. Because there have been so many people who have experienced it. And then when they would try to tell their story, they are denied or dismissed. So I
1: want to jump into the topic, but you know, we've, we've somewhat covered it in your first episode in perfectionism and then in the Enneagram, but what was going on in 23 year old Brian that kind of, I wouldn't say planted the seeds to Broken to Beloved, but just kind of now you're looking back at and you're kind of saying, I have a lot to process over. Um, you know, <laughs> let's, let's kind of start with your story. I mean, there's no easy way to ask that, but yeah, we'll, we'll start there.
3: Man. Um, there was a total lack of self-awareness. And we talked about that in a, I think in the very first episode and then again in the last one with new year's goals, but I was floating through life thinking I had all the answers because to me, my personality told me that you have to act like you have the answers and know what you're doing to survive in this world. Mm. And so I faked it and I hurt a lot of people in the process. Mm. And so part of my personality was called out by people constantly of being arrogant or judgmental or critical or all these pieces. And all of it was true right? And so being able to, to own that and discover it and then reconcile it, it's like, oh yeah, this, this totally makes sense and it sucks and I don't want to do this. What, what needs to change? And more often than not, it's just the awareness that it's there and then choosing to own it rather than deny it. It's like, no, of course not. That's not me, right? Because um, that would have been probably easier than trying to do the work of awareness um, but i think it's it's doing that kind of work to grow in emotional intelligence which is really self-awareness and others awareness mm-hmm. which is why i came across the enneagram because i was already a personality test junkie anyway you know whether it's myers-briggs or berkman or disc or colby or strengths finders it's like i was doing all of them it's like i need to find out how the, how i tick and then it was the experiences of feeling harmed in faith-based environments where there's this cognitive dissonance of hold on this person says they love jesus and yet i see a, them treating a lot of people not the way jesus would yeah. and then when i try to bring it up with someone else they tell me that i'm the crazy one or that i was the wrong one right because this person's in a position of power and therefore they should have the ability to or license to right um and then that started me down the whole path of, okay well what do I do with this? When someone claims to follow Christ and love Christ and talk about grace and forgiveness and compassion and empathy, but then behind closed doors they're an absolute tyrant. How do I how do I settle that in my head, right? Um, and so a lot of the pathway towards where we are today has a lot to do with that. And then 2020 obviously pulled a big one on all of us, on the whole world. So reconciling things like churches who choose to hold on to positions of power and control rather than advocate for the vulnerable. Mm. And I'm not here to say pro-mask, anti-mask, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, any of that stuff. Maybe I am a little. But it's like when the sick among you can't show up if you can't be inconvenienced to wear a mask, then who are you really standing up for? Who are you really defending? Who are you really caring for when you say we will absolutely not wear masks? Right? It's like to, to for someone who has an autoimmune deficiency or someone who is legitimately sick or who has elderly parents who they can't visit if they're not wearing one, to take a stance that says, no, it's not of God or it's of the devil to wear a to do something as simple and as caring as wearing a mask. I mean, it was such, it was such a random polarizing thing that shouldn't probably have been so big, um, but it got turned into one because the church chose to, or because people chose to, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have all the Black Lives Matter protests and all the race things that came up in 2020, and then you had all the anti-Asian hate stuff that came up in 2020. And I am very much wrapped up in all of it because it's what I dealt with my entire life (laughs) was just very overt racism Um, and then very covert racism, having served in and pastored in white churches for pretty much all of my adult life, Mm -hmm. where, you know, one of the churches I was at was just constantly pushing for diversity on the stage and on the worship team. I was a worship leader at the time. And what they meant was we need more black people because I was like, am I not diverse? Am I not a minority? It's like, well, you're the wrong one. I was like, oh, okay, there it is. There's the truth. Hmm. Because I'm not Spanish or I'm not black, even though I'm up there every single week, it's not enough, right? So there's this tokenizing of people. Hmm. And the the moment that we turn people into objects to be fixed or used rather than people to be loved, we shift toward that stance of spiritual abuse. And so it feels like the years since I was 23 <laughs> and all the events that have been happening in my life since then have brought me to this.
2: Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry for what you've been through and what's been said to you. Um as I hear this, my question is why? Like why is this happening? Why do people respond this way? How is it that people who call themselves Christians are behaving this way? And Mm -hmm. um, I know that may not be an answer that we could have here, but at least dialogue about it. I'd be curious to know what your response to that question would be.
3: Sure. Two words, power and control. Mm have been the common theme that I have seen in every environment and heard in every story that I've been told or that I've read um, is an unwillingness for someone in leadership to let go of some sense of power and control Mm -hmm. over a person, over a system, over a church, over whatever it is, rather than release or surrender or give up some of that to care for someone else, they needed to hold on to that position. Mm. Right? Yeah. So rather than the humility, I mean, it's the absolute opposite of Philippians two, mm-hmm. who Christ, being in very nature God, humbled himself and became a servant, right? Became obedient even unto death. And it's like, and and we see these other pastors and leaders, and we can name all the names that we've heard in the podcasts and in the news articles and all it is, and you see this grandstanding. And you see this need to cling to power and control, and for me, that's been the common thread through all the stories that I've heard. So when it's why, I don't, I don't have an answer for why. I think um, you know if you read Chuck DeGroat, when narcissism comes to church, Wade Mullen, something's not right, um, subtle power, spiritual abuse, uh, Johnson and Van Vonderen, Diane Langberg. I mean, there's all these books and resources out there for for why people act the way that they do. Um, And a lot of it has to do with their need to hold on to power and control. And I think more than the power and control, it's not even about the power and control. It's about how scared they are Mm -hmm. to face whatever it is inside of them that drives them to keep pursuing that. Because they're thinking, if I let go of this one thing, is it all going to unravel? So for me at 23 in school, thinking that I needed to project myself as perfect and good and right all the time, if I were to admit one mistake, yeah, I'm sorry, I messed that up, then for me, my whole life would have fallen apart. Because if I'm not good and right and perfect, who am I? And there's this over-identification with, you know, Henry Nouwen talks about his three lies, right? I am what I have, I am what I do, I am what what others say about me. Um, And if... If one of those comes apart or if there's a chink in the armor or a crack in the dam or whatever analogy you want to use, then all of it comes crumbling down and it's too much for them to bear. So they choose not to face any of it and they just keep putting up this facade or this this wall or whatever it is and they hold on to that power and control.
2: Wow.
3: So, Brian, I want to kind of touch on something that
1: you bring that's very unique. Um, So you you know, you talked about being Asian in a church and even some of the diversity conversations. (laughs) And, um, you know, you're not the first person and there's probably similarities and uniqueness. So I want to kind of start there. But um, I think it's important to our listeners to kind of just, before we jump into maybe the Mars Hill issues or churches having these other issues or systematic problems, You know, I guess as you kind of reflect and you've taken years um, as someone that's in the church, not working for the church, you know, what do you reflect about being someone of Asian descent, now having two children of American Christianity and just, you know, even your hurt, your pain and the hope of that?
3: Well, that's not loaded at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, man, I don't know how other Asian people or other minorities experience it, but I know that the minute I walk into a room, I, I'm scanning to see if there's anyone else that looks like me Mm. because I want to know immediately, is there a place for me here? Will I feel like I fit in or belong? Um, and what is this environment going to feel like to me and now to my two children? Is there space for them too? And I remember showing up at one of the churches where I worked at and immediately all the Asians flocked to me. It's like, oh my goodness, it's so glad to have you here. We're so happy and we're so glad that you're going to be representing us on the platform and all these things. And it's like, and you just kind of expect it, <laughs> honestly. Um, and I remember, you know, you know, I traveled on the worship team for years with Valley Forge. And and it was the same thing with all these other host churches or places that we would show up to. They just kind of come up to you. And it's like, hey, it's so good to meet you and blah, 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 blah. And it's, it's one of those things where representation does matter. Um, and for me, having experienced that kind of very overt racism um, growing up, and then kind of trying to reconcile and come to terms with it throughout 2020 and beyond in therapy and lots of other places. Um, Here's a story I can tell that maybe wraps it up a little better. Um, So we signed up our oldest son for martial arts when he was five, maybe, because we thought it'd be a good way for him to get energy out and actually fall asleep at night. Mm -hmm. Um, And self-defense, right? We're like, he needs to know it. Like he needs to know how to stand up for himself. And what we didn't realize is how much anti-bullying stuff they were going to be teaching at martial arts. And I remember one night I'm standing there or sitting there during his lesson and the main, um, the master comes out and just kind of does this whole talk about bullying and then teaches them how to stand up to a bully. And as I'm watching them do this and he says, you point straight to their nose and you tell them you, you don't talk to me like that. And then you turn around and walk away. Or you defend yourself this way, or you stand up to yourself this way. And if you if you see a friend going through this, you go grab them on the shoulder and you say, come on, let's walk away. And I just watched in that moment, my entire life flash before my eyes, like my entire childhood <laughs> school career um, from second grade on through high school um, and wishing I had had that five minutes somewhere in my life. Mm. And then simultaneously recognizing that for my son, he has that. And growing up in church, you know, going back to the spiritual abuse and church hurt thing, and why why do why does church do more harm than good? It's not explicit, but for some kids, they hear something like turn the other cheek and they take it to heart. Mm-hmm. And when you get bullied in school and when you get pushed around you don't stand up for yourself because you're taught that you're supposed to turn the other cheek. And that was me. I was, I mean, I was pushed downstairs. I was, my face was pushed in the snow. The books are constantly knocked out of your hands, walking down the hall, you're tripped. I mean, this is through high school. And I say nothing because I think I'm just supposed to turn the other cheek. I mean, how do we, how do we teach our kids something different? So the idea that my son now gets to walk through his world knowing how to stand up for himself and that it's okay to and that turn the other cheek maybe doesn't mean exactly that knowing that there is a God who loves him and wants to stand up for him and advocates for him and feels a righteous anger when he is harmed or betrayed or any of those things um, that sets up a future generation for something better
0: Mm. Mm -hmm.
2: yeah I'm curious what the 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 Bible verse should be in those situations instead of Hmm. turn the other cheek, especially in the situation where it's a young child being bullied or if it's an adult being gaslighted in their own church. Like what, what really is the Bible verse that should come to mind in those moments?
3: I don't know them off the top of my head, but there are plenty about, you know, looking out for the weak and the vulnerable and the marginalized and taking care of the widows and the children. Um, so much of the Bible talks about standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves, mm-hmm. or speaking up on behalf of those who don't have a voice. Um, and so, again, when we run into these situations where leaders are holding on to p- who choose power and control rather than humility and vulnerability, we set up systems where these kinds of things can very easily happen.
1: So, I'm actually gonna drop a verse in there, and it might lead us more to Go the for church. It. So. Um, interestingly enough, uh, the day that we're interviewing you, we actually interv- interview Nijay Gupta afterwards. So mm. if you if you folks don't know who Nijay Gupta is, he's a commentator, a scholar. One of the verses he talks about is Brian's already mentioned Philippians too, and there's this verse that's misunderstood. It's um, it's defer to one another in love, and so most mm. people assume that that verse means be a doormat. But when you read it in the context, it's not written to an individual. It's written to a whole church. And the unpacking of that is actually there's two people that are fighting in the book of Philippians that have to come together. And really what you know, I think a lot of commentators would say is, imagine a community when we're deferring to one another. We're serving and taking care of one another. Mm. So I I think even what, what I'm hearing you say is, You know, when 10-year-old Brian comes to church and says, hey, I'm being bullied, um, we're not going to necessarily give Brian the platitudes of turn the other cheek. You know, we're going to—and we're not just going to sit with Brian and be sad. You know, we are going to advocate for Brian however it's appropriate. You know, we might take him to a martial arts class to learn anti-bullying. We might— actually kind of go to the school and be, and you know, it's hard because with kids, you don't want them to feel like they're tattled. So there's that level. This podcast isn't on parenting, but you know, there's just a certain way to, of deferring and being there with each other that it's, I'm going to put what I perceive my right solution is or what I want to the side so that I can figure out what's God calling me to do to support Brian
3: in that. I don't know. Does that, I mean, does that sound right? Yeah, no, I think that sounds great. And I think, again, that has a lot to do with, you know, whether it's deferring or preferring someone else over myself Mm. would help so much. (laughs) Um, You know, and Carlos Whitaker says it all the time. It's like, don't stand on issues, walk with people. Mm. And when the church decides to take a stance on something, Boy, do they. And what I find so interesting, and I think this is another good, um, maybe a good offering of an answer to why do churches do more harm than good. For some reason, I think a lot of churches and a lot of Christians and a lot of pastors feel this real need to defend God as if he needs it or to defend the gospel as if it weren't true. And so they lay down their lives for it, which sounds noble, but it's just not. And then they end up doing a lot more harm than good, right? And then depending on what they align themselves with, because listen, there are very fundamental conservatives and there are very fundamental progressives and liberals, it comes on both sides. Um, And the shaming and the toxic talk can come from either end, (laughs) right? Um, And when people don't do the work of examining those beliefs and just practicing how to listen to someone, you can very easily leave a fundamentally conservative place and just swing to a fundamental progressivism instead. Mm. Because you haven't examined any of those beliefs. You've just traded them in for something else. Mm. Um, and when it comes to standing up for or defending whatever issue you want to pick, you know, a really great question to ask yourself or someone else is like, who, do you know anyone who has struggled with that? Are you in proximity to someone who's had an abortion, who's struggling with LGBTQ plus issues who's struggling with pick your th- pick your thing right because i guarantee you there are people coming to your church when you s- preach or maybe rail against one of these things who now don't feel safe there mm-hmm. because like actually my son or my uncle or my dad is struggling with this thing and now i don't feel like i can talk to you about it And I think there's so much of that, if we were to defer to one another or prefer one another, we could approach things with so much more compassion and empathy and grace and curiosity than judgmentalism. Um, It's one thing to preach or teach the word of God. It is another to feel like you really just have to defend it. (laughs) I'm just not sure where that comes from, right? Um, the gospel can stand on its own god can take care of himself um you don't need to do it for him unless your identity is somehow wrongly wrapped up in it
2: mm-hmm. so wow
3: one one quick question
1: for it well it's never quick because it's a loaded one um <laughs> you um you've been through a lot <clears throat> and you know i I, I love the spiritual discipline of confidentiality that you're kind of playing, and we can go deep into different stories, but I'm sure our listeners are wondering, why are you still a Christian?
3: Hmm. That's a great question. And I don't know that I have an answer, to be completely honest. Um, when I went to my first college, because I'm a rare bird that has two bachelor's degrees <laughs> and did the whole thing twice... Um, I went to a very liberal arts college in Philadelphia. um, And after having spent my entire life growing up in church as a pastor's kid. And so leaving home for the first time and feeling like I I can kind of make my own way and make my own mark, um, spent four years building a little kingdom for myself. I was doing fine. I made friends. I was doing really well in classes. I had kind of made a sort of a name in my small little world um and then my senior year it all came crashing down and what i recognized was this sense of no matter how far or fast i run and try to make my own way what i recognized is i can't have a foot in both worlds i can't have it both ways and like it or not there was this sense that god would just not stop chasing me and that was a clear and defining moment Um, and I had seen way too much of God actively at work in and around my life to deny that he was real. Like, I just can't. Um, and in the last four years since 2020 and beyond, I've come to recognize this defense of God and church and learned that I don't need to, that God can take care of himself, that the word can stand on its own. And that I still hold on to this deep love for and belief in the big C church. I still think she is beautiful. I still Mm -hmm. think she is worthy of pursuing and building. And multiple things can be true at the same time. And she can be blemished and she can be hurting and she can be full of really toxic things. Um, And it doesn't have to be that way.
2: makes me cry. Oh. Yeah. Cuz even in, in spite of that you're saying that the church is beautiful. Like that's
3: Yeah. I why If why we are you don't have hope, hope, if we don't have hope, what do we have? Yeah. What why are you feeling so
1: emotional right now? What are you thinking about?
2: Uh, um I think because even in my own life, I know that I don't exemplify Christ the way that I should. Mm. And yet someone who has been hurt still says the church is beautiful. Um, I just think there's such a redeeming quality to what God can do and who he is in and himself. Um, You know, I think about people and leaders and kings in the Old Testament, like like David, you know, he messed up. A lot. And yet he was ma- called a man after God's own heart. So it's just it just doesn't seem like it's supposed to be that way. But
0: mm-hmm.
2: I think the credit really goes to God to say, yeah, I take what's broken and messy. And I can- I alone can make it beautiful and not yeah. people who are striving for, like you said, so perfectly the power and position that our flesh just longs for and sets aside everything else that should be put to the forefront. So, I mean, yeah. Um,
3: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, go ahead. No, you go ahead, Brian. Yeah,
2: you go ahead, Brian.
3: Well, I was going to say, you saying that makes me think of like Saul and David, right? For Saul to have become the king that he did, Far from perfect, for sure. Um, And David obviously being far from perfect. But in his early days, even as he was already anointed and knowing that he's about to become the king, he has plenty of opportunities and says, I won't touch the Lord's anointed, right? I'm not going to step into it early or any of these pieces um, and start out so righteously (laughs) and then turn into who he did. And then to still, like you're saying, at the end of the day, be called a man after God's own heart oh, is God's heart to be adulterous and murderous and do all these things that David did? And yet when called out by by Samuel to say, yeah, that, that man is you. And it's like, oh yeah, that was, I really messed up this, this one, right? And to own it rather than to cover it up and how dare you, who do you think you are? I'm the king, do you know who you're talking to? You're the crazy person, right? And just have him executed on the spot. He didn't choose to hold on to that power and control and was humbled. hmm and repented and just owned it for what it was. And then wrote a Psalm, not knowing that the rest of the world for all mankind, for the rest of humanity, would read over and over again, right? Saying, (laughs) writing what he did. And it's like, and isn't that such a model for us? It's like, how healing would it be for people who have left the church or who are still sitting in it hurt and wondering if they would see leaders model this kind of humility to say, hey guys, I've been accused of this. Or these allegations have come forward and we've hired a lawyer to, or we're going to bring in a third party investigator, or we just flat out deny that any of this happened. I would never, right. Um, versus yeah, I'm really sorry. Here's what happened. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether or not that makes me fit to continue to be your pastor And if you don't trust me anymore, I completely understand. And here's what we're going to do going forward. And here's how we're going to make it right. And instead, what so many people see, you know, whether it's Matt Chandler or all these other churches that you've heard of, it's like they get this leave of absence or sabbatical to get paid and go take their time and get better. And then they come back and all the people are standing up and praying. We're praying for you, pastor. We believe in you, pastor. We're right behind you. And where is the victim? Where is the person that was harmed in all of that? And what are they supposed to think? It's just so backwards. It is. And it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you talk about Nije in his previous book, right? Uh, tell Her Story and just highlighting women in the Bible and the role of women in ministry. And why is this still such an argument in mm-hmm. our denominations today, in our churches today? And his upcoming book, Strange Religion, to talk about how weird the early Christians were to their culture, you know, and the books that I reference all the time when it comes to like church doesn't have to be this way, are Scott McKnight and Laura Barringer when they wrote a church called Tove. To me, that's like the dream of what church could be like is that Mm. culture of goodness of Tove. And then they followed up with Pivot, which they weren't planning to, but they got so much feedback from Tove. They're like, okay. And they wrote a blueprint for how to actually make that happen right? So how do you create a culture of goodness? How do you stand up to injustice? How do you put practices in place in your church that allow for awareness and honesty and transparency and vulnerability and forgiveness and empathy and all these things? Um, so I refer to that all the time and, and Laura sits on my board with broken to beloved. So she's helping us to get there, um, very practically and on, in a hands-on kind of a way. So,
1: This is, um, obviously we knew that this was going to be a moving conversation for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, and one of the things I appreciate you about Brian and I would echo, you know, I've been on the receiving end of church hurt and I know for a fact that I've done some church hurt and, you know, I can openly admit that. And so where I'd like to kind of focus, you know, part of the conversation is, um, the church is hypocritical. The church is messy. Um, pastors, elders, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, the person that comes Christmas and Easter, we're all kind of broken. I'm thinking about the 24 year old that <clears throat> has experienced church hurt or church harm. And besides going to broken to beloved.org, um, You know, what are some quick things that you would want that person to process through? You know, maybe maybe they're on the cusp of just, you know, not even giving up Christianity, but they're saying, hey, I'm still a Christian. I just don't want to go to church. How would you kind of coach or kind of be there for that person um, on the other side of this podcast?
3: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I would just ask them for their story and then I would choose to believe them. I think that's often the first harming and damning thing that happens to someone who walks through an experience like that is they try to tell their story to someone and then they're just not believed. Or oh, pastor so-and-so, he would never do that. I can't believe that. And now this person's left saying, well, it happened to me, so what do I do with this now? Are you no longer my friend? And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that story. Um, and so that's one of the things, you know, we have this eight week cohort that launches in February. And that's one of the first things we do is like, how do we learn to tell our story? And it's all the hero's journey stuff, right? Whether it's Joseph Conrad or um, Victor Frankl and all the stuff, it's like, you've got, everyone starts out as a victim. Life happens to us. Something's going to happen, but am I going to choose to become the villain or the hero? Do I choose to stay in it and just allow life to keep happening to me? Or am I going to take an active role and try to overcome what's happened? And along the way, there's usually a guide who's already been there and walked through it. And they show up every once in a while to say, you're doing great. Just do this next. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of life and the whole point of the journey is to keep overcoming obstacles. And one of those early obstacles is how do I own my story and the role that I played in it? And I'm not saying that we blame victims. Like the here's something that happens in churches all the time. The woman comes up with an allegation of some kind of sexual abuse or misconduct or harassment or whatever it is. And the first question or statement is not, I'm so sorry. It's what you, what were you wearing? Mm. Oh, really? What were you wearing? It's like, what? Okay. Well, now this conversation has taken a whole different tone, right? Instead of showing them compassion or empathy, it's like, I'm so sorry that happened. That is extremely inappropriate. And needs to be dealt with. Okay, now I feel safe. Now I can tell you a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? So it's just learning, finding the compassionate care of someone who will listen to you is really the first step. Um, Chuck DeGroat says it in the set. Like so many people have said it. Like we can't heal on our own; it's just not possible. You need be- you need to be in the company of other people. You need to find some kind of community, and it's heartbreaking that the church has not become that community for people. Yeah. It's the place where people find judgment or condemnation or shame,
2: mm-hmm.
3: not welcome and healing and all and safety and the other things that we're supposed to find there. Um, but if it would be so simple as to say, I find it really hard to believe and I'm going to choose to believe you, mm. two things can be true at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And what happens if you ask more curious questions? rather than jumping to conclusions or pronouncing judgment early. Um, And if abuse is the thing that happened to you, trauma is the result of that abuse when it doesn't get metabolized or processed in your body. And it gets carried in your body for the rest of your life Mm. until you can process it. Mm. So that when you get triggered, when you walk into another church that feels just slightly like the last one you left, your heart starts pounding you're like, I don't know if I can do this. My hands get clammy. You get triggered. And it's like, okay, I guess I'm done with church now versus when you're able to process the pro you know, what happened to me? Why do I feel this way? What's going on in my body right now, even though I'm completely safe and in a new place, and this is not that same place, that's the result of trauma. So how do you learn to process the trauma part and learn how to self-regulate in your body? You know there's a whole lot of stuff with polyvagal theory and all these and co-regulation and self-regulation and attunement and all these things that you could do and practices that you can learn but it starts with just learning how to tell your story in the compassionate witness of somebody else you know I just I want to brag on Amanda
1: so Amanda's our you know next steps director and uh, you know in her email to people her first one she'll she'll say just tell me your story and i mean there are hosts of people that they'll either email or set up a meeting with her um and you know even if you haven't been through trauma mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i'm amazed at how often i sit with people and they'll talk for 45 minutes and that was the first time probably somebody listened to them that long. And, and that's not even, there's always a little bit of trauma, you know, no one's stories, but like, that's not even like church hurt, harm. So I, I think it's so powerful what you're saying. um, I, I guess kind of where I want to go is what, what, what I think I'm hearing from you on a very basic level, because this is a big question, mm-hmm. you know, as people, I want our listeners to know, as a pastor, I'm personally, you know, kind of dealing with this of how to how churches and and myself can be better. I know that there's a ton of other pastors out there, the stories are there. So, but I think the biggest thing that I'm hearing is we have to learn just to create these safe places for people to let their story be out there, to let it be processed, and almost giving enough space that the Holy Spirit can work without us overdoing. And of course there are certain times where it's the authorities need to be called. You need to manage up for accountability. So we're not kind of cat. We're not, I'm not trying to dismiss that, but there is a sense of church hurt where the person needs the space to say it. And we need to sit there long enough to let the Holy Spirit at least have that space. I don't know. That's kind of what I'm hearing from you.
3: Yeah, no, that's good. Um, creating those safe spaces where people feel like they are safe enough to tell their story honestly, Hmm. because I, I think it might be Chris rock. (laughs) Who has this great quote that the first time you meet someone, you don't meet them. You meet their representative. That's right.
0: Mm.
3: Right. It's all that first impression management. The first time someone tells you their story, they're probably not really telling you their story. They're giving you the highlight reel. Mm. Right. They're giving you the Instagram sanitized post version of it. Mm. Um, And I love KJ Ramsey has this quote. She says abuse in one church is every Christian's problem. We can't call ourselves a body and then refuse to stop the bleeding in another limb just because our arm seems to be working fine. And so when it comes to awareness, self-awareness and others' awareness, emotional intelligence, just being aware that one out of every six people that walks through the doors of your church has experienced some kind of trauma. Are you prepared to listen to them? Mm -hmm. And you may not be trained to deal with it. Most of us aren't, and we don't need to be. Like just can you make yourself a safe place to just listen to them mm. and just say the words, I'm so sorry, because mm. nine times out of 10, that's really all they need to hear.
2: Okay. I think that, I'm so
3: sorry that happened to you.
2: Yeah, I think that's the question as I'm hearing that's The question that I have is like, how do we how do how are we healthier in helping people heal? Like, there's obvious work that needs to be done in stopping the hurt and the harm altogether. But how do we even mend the broken wounds of the people that, that have been hurt by other churches? And I, I wholeheartedly agree that it's not, this is a, this is a church body problem, not just a church problem.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great question. I love it. And I think the first thing I think of is um, that, Compassion and empathy thing again, Mm -hmm. where if empathy is feeling someone else's feelings, kind of stepping into their shoes that way, compassion is being driven to action. Mm -hmm. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. So, when we talk about how do we mend these broken people, the first thing you have to do is notice them. Mm -hmm. Because far more often than not, and you look at that specific story, it's the pastors and the worship leaders. who walked by the poor broken man. And it was the man who should never have paid attention to him that st- stopped and said, oh my goodness, what happened to you? Let me put you on my animal and take you and take care of you and prepay the rest of your medical care. And the churches are the ones when these people come in broken and wounded and healed, you know bleeding out, choose to pretend everything's fine, just claim the victory, brother. You must not be praying enough. You must not be righteous enough. You must not be holy enough. Instead of just saying, yeah, you're broken. You know what? Me too. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: Let's find what we need together. Mm. If we would just choose to see people as broken when they tell us they are, rather than glossing over it or providing like the platitudes, like you said, which is spiritual bypassing, right? Instead of spiritually bypassing all these people, what if we just... Let them show up as they actually are and then offer them a Christ who does not need to be defended with a gospel that does not need to be defended and say, and I don't really understand it all either. We're all a work in progress. We're all broken to some degree. And isn't that who God uses the most?
2: Absolutely.
1: Wow. Oh man, Brian, I feel like I got to get to Richmond and kind of see you in person. Okay. So... Uh, Let's do it. uh, It might be happening sooner than you think, but, uh, you know, all the other friends now know that I might be going down to Richmond at some point. But anyways, um, (laughs) you know, Amanda and I talked and we said before this episode that it was going to, I mean, this was going to be a tough episode. Um, And I -hmm. hope listeners can feel the weight that we feel um, because we want to live up to the ideals of the gospel. So we we've changed our segment a little bit in two years. So we call it final remarks. It's still kind of the same thing. Amanda and I will go, you probably won't have to clean up anything Amanda does, but whatever I do, yeah, you're pretty as teammates and coworkers, you had to clean up a lot that I did. So you're pretty used to it. So sound good. Sounds good. (laughs) You want to go first or you want me?
2: No, I want you to go first, actually, with this one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I'm really glad we had this uh, episode. Um, and I'm really glad we had Brian. Uh, because I, I felt like there there's a big picture, the big body in the church, and then there's individuals. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can't escape... The brokenness and sin that affects the church, but we live in the already but not yet, mm-hmm. and in the kingdom of God, um, the kingdom of God calls us to mourn with those who mourn, to have mercy, to be peacemakers, and and this is messy work. Um, being married is messy work because it's two sinful people, you know. I. We we offend each other, we hurt each other, and our our ability to receive the gospel, our ability to receive the good news, ultimately frees us from needing to grasp power and control. Um, it also frees us to be able to speak the truth and love to people that want power and control, or that's influencing them too much. So. If you're listening to this episode and you're wondering, you know, the church is not credible because of church harm, you know, I'm not asking, I think I would start with Brian, what's your story? But I think the, the question that's being asked of you is, you know, is there someone that you can tell your story to that will allow you to share it? That you can have space that maybe the Holy Spirit can bring grace to and, um, I think that that's our invitation because we're bringing up this question because we do believe it's a problem. And just like my final remark, it's you, you can't tie it up with a bow. Um, it's complicated. But we also realize that you as a listener, you are we can't tie your life up with a bow. It's complicated. We're just hoping that somewhere in there, in listening to this episode, whether it's Brian or Amanda, that you can hear um, maybe a faint voice of God speaking to you. That's Mm -hmm. all I'd say. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. I think I didn't want to go first because I'm really ruminating on everything that you shared. And I actually know people in Buffalo who are going through this and the church did not respond in a good way. So I'm really like, it hits home for me, literally. (laughs) And um, it's so interesting to think that the way that people can defend God, defend the gospel, and it not be loving. I mean, that is... Mm-hmm. I gotta unpack that more, because I i think there's so much in there, which led to a quote that um, our boss, John and Miles, says a lot. It's by David Augsburger that says, being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they are almost indistinguishable. The power of Being heard and seen and cared for, and believed. Yeah, it's incredibly powerful and healing. So, thank you for all that, Brian.
3: Yeah,
1: thank you. All right, you get the final word, Brian.
3: Oh, I get the final word. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, the last couple of years a lot of my work has been tending to the wounded and as i would talk with my counselor through it i would tell her it feels like i'm in the water at the bottom of the cliff constantly catching people who are falling off or being pushed off and i love doing the work but it's getting really tiring and she challenged me over the summer and said you know what if you went to the top of the cliff and you built a fence And then I found this quote from Desmond Tutu that says, there comes a point where we need to stop just pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. Mm. And so a lot of the work that I'm starting to do this year is going to churches and pastors and leaders um, to talk about this kind of work. Um, I'm leading a workshop in March with a denominational conference just about self-awareness and leadership malpractice. And what does it look like to be trauma informed and trauma aware? And how do we put safeguarding practices in place in our churches and on our teams and with our staff and volunteer leaders to keep an eye out for this kind of stuff and be the Samaritan that spots someone who's laying on the side of the road instead of constantly just walking by. Like how many times do we see that poor person or that kid in youth group who just is always ignored because they're just too much? What would it take to actually engage them?
0: Yeah.
3: How might it change something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you were that kid that grew up in that youth group that was constantly ignored, or you just always carried something, but you just never knew who to tell or how to tell it. What if we created environments where it felt like those kids felt safe enough to be asked those questions and share it with someone? Mm-hmm. Um and so that's a lot of the work that we're doing this year. And we're really excited about stuff I'm not allowed to talk about yet <laughs> for the fall. Um, but we've got, we're have got we in the middle of the summit right now. We're launching our cohort afterwards for people to walk through this process together in a safe community. We launch it again in the spring. Um, we're moving into churches and talking to leaders about this stuff. Um, we're officially a 501c3. So we're looking for support support for people to pray with us and join up as prayer partners or to donate and kind of fund the work that we're doing. Um, cause it is really exciting. It feels it's very sobering. The fact that this is needed at all. I hate it. I hate that it's needed. Mm-hmm. And I, and I wish I had something like this when I was going through it. Mm-hmm. So for as much as we can offer that and extend it to other people, we want to do that. And we want to be there to keep catching people when they fall in and we want to keep building fences to keep people from falling over this over the edge
1: brian thank you so much uh so the best place people to find can find you is broken to beloved org. is that correct correct all right um so i would just i'll give a shameless plug but i would say <laughs> uh, share that website he's got resources articles um You'll notice a lot of Why God Why interviewers are actually his workshop leaders. Um, yep. So just, I wanna encourage you, if you're going through Church Hurt or if you know someone, please go there. And then for us, uh, you can always find us at com and uh, click the subscribe, you'll get this episode and many others. Thank you so much for joining us.